one of the things that we want to, um, want to share from is just this, like, uh, you know, kind of one of our core, um, you know, core drives of starting a new church is that it comes from just a, a deep desire to help people find and, and follow Jesus. If I um, think back on, on my life, there's sort of three phases that I went through as far as, you know, helping people begin a relationship with Jesus in a way that was just natural and, uh, and wasn't forced. The first phase was not natural and wasn't forced. It was really pretty embarrassing. When I was young, uh, you know, high school, college age, something, just I remember having, I could tell you stories of times of just being completely overcome with just a desire for, there were several friends that I could, I could tell you about that, I just this driving passion for like, man, I wish that they would have the kind of relationship with, with Christ or, you know, walk with God that I had, and just having this just sort of like driving desire. And uh, to the, I was kind of annoying um, and kind of awkward to the point that one of my friends said, hey, man, I'm, I'm not, not your project, you know, just like, like, like we just, can we just be friends? And, and so that was sort of the, the end of that, that natural and relaxed and helping people have a relationship with, with Christ. And um, I went into, after college, went into, you know, uh, full-time ministry and was on staff at several different churches. And uh, in this phase, you know, there was a lot of times that just spiritual conversations happened pretty naturally. And people would say, hey, I, I wanna, I'd like to talk with you. You've got some questions or, you know, and those kind of conversations would happen naturally. Then about 10 years after being in full-time ministry, God took me into the marketplace, and I ended up uh, being in software sales from 2005 till about, two, uh, I guess, 14 years, till 2019. Uh, worked in software sales. In fact, being in this area as we're driving here, I'm seeing several of the clients that I used to work with, and so it brought back some, some memories here. But when, uh, in 2005, when I went from, you know, my having this professional professional minister hat on to then being in the workplace, uh, one of the questions I had was like, I wonder if spiritual conversations are going to continue to happen with the kind of regularity that they did. And what I learned was that it was much harder to have uh, spiritual conversations happen. And um, some of that, you know, like, how do I do this in a way that's natural and compelling? Um, one of the first uh, trips that I took with, uh, started with the software company, and one of the first trips I took, we went to see a client, and so the, uh, the sales engineer that I was with, we're having dinner that night, and he said, um, hey, so what did you do before you got into software? Like, what, before you got into technology, what was your role? And I was like, oh boy. I said, all right, well, don't let this weird you out too much, um, but uh, before I was, uh, you know, software, I, I was actually a minister, I was a preacher, and he's like, oh, man, no way, that is so wild, and I was like, well, don't let that weird out, he's like, oh, no, that's not weird at all, he's like, you know what I did before I got into uh, software, I'm like, what, he's like, I was a male stripper, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that, I, I did not <laughs> expect that to, to, to be coming, like, that was God's way of saying, hey, look, like, everybody has got a story, a path, yours is not the only one that, that's a little bit unusual, um, but I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I was in my 40s uh, before I realized that there wasn't just this sort of like awkward, sort of like, you know, herky-jerky way to begin spiritual relationships. But I was sharing with a, a friend of mine in Durham, she's like, man, I, I'm, I'm praying for God to give me an opportunity to, to start 
relationships or to help people start, you know, a relationship with God, to have these spiritual conversations. I feel like, you know, we'll, we'll have a conversation, something will, you know, make a little bit of progress, and then it will just kind of stop. And my friend uh, encouraged me, he said, well, have you ever read, like really read the story that Jesus gave in Mark chapter 4? where he talks about like this very process of like, what is it like for a person to begin a relationship with Jesus? And I'm like, uh, I had, he's like, so he, 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 we went there and we read it and, uh, and it was like, oh my gosh, it just sort of like opened up a whole world. How does this happen in a way that it's just natural and not forced? Let me um, open up here and we'll read, uh, we'll read from it together. We'll have it up on the screen. Um, Yeah, so Jesus, he's talking to his disciples, and he's just, he's teaching them, and he says, this is what it is like as people begin a relationship uh, with Christ. Begin here in verse 26. It says, uh, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. And, you know, this is probably 12 years ago, and I realized that what I had been doing this entire time was just trying to... I mean, if, if you think of like a football field and like in a conversation, like I was trying to move the ball all the way down the field in a single conversation. And what Jesus is saying here is like, pay attention to how the farmer, like how he scatters this seed. Like things happen gradually. Things happen incrementally. Um, one of my, my, my best friend in life, my best friend since we were four years old, um, he's the one who told me to stop <laughs> treating him like a project. Um, remember, it was like eight years ago. He called me, and he lives in Seattle, and he says, hey, I've got some news for you. I'm going to get baptized this weekend. And I'm like, what? Why, why have you been hiding this from me? What's been going on? But God had just been working, like, incrementally all over, you know, over, like, different people that he had, different conversations, his wife, his, uh, his in-laws. God had just been working there and just so captured like what Jesus is talking about here. It's this, this is a sort of gradual process. And so I've been able to just relax and just in having conversations with people, particularly as we're starting the church, just say, like, where are people at in this? Because, and I realize, you know why it's so hard for us to get like this process? It's because we don't live in an, an agricultural society. Jesus, is, he's talking to people who are agriculture. They understand farming. We live in an automated society. If I want something now, I go to the store. If I want something to eat, I, it just, I order it, and it's there right there. And a lot of times we think that's what it's like to help people dis, you know, discover what God's doing in their life. We just think it happens like that. So just as a way to help us emerge you know, into this story, I, I prepared a video that just to kind of help us understand what it is like. Go ahead and, and start the video that as Jesus described, you know, like the farmer throws the seed. And we can just kind of begin to imagine, you know, what it's like for that seed to hit the ground. Days pass, water, the sun happens, and all of a sudden new life starts to emerge. 
It happens slowly but persistently. And I love what you know, Jesus says, that whether the farmer, whether he gets up or whether he sleeps, this process is happening. And the earth produces the crops on its own. You know, the leaf blade pushes through. Just this, like God is at work in people's lives. And so when we just stop and we ask, hey, what, what's happening right now? A mother in our church a couple of weeks ago, she said, um, she's got three girls, and her youngest is now at, uh, at home. And she said, I want to have the best influence I can on my, my teenage girl who's going to be leaving for college in a couple of years. How can I have the greatest influence on her? We just had a great conversation just saying, like, where, like, what's going on right now? What's going on right now? Um, you know, Jesus, as he was, um, as you know, the, the chapters that are surrounding this, this part of, of Mark, it, it shows him going from place to place. And he's freeing people from sickness. He's freeing people from loneliness. He's freeing people from brokenness. Just story after story of just these dramatic, of seeing like what Jesus does when he comes into a person's life. And, and Mark records in, in chapter 6, verse 34, it says that when he saw the crowd, um, as, he, as he stepped out from one of the boats, so he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know, I don't think that your community here is that much different from our community in Durham. You know, you've got uh, people who are racing at 100 miles an hour to, you know, to say, okay, um, to achieve, to, you know, to give, you know, to provide for their family. But at the same time, just our community is just racked with so many areas of just of brokenness, of, of addiction, of loneliness, the same kind of things that our heart just hurts for people to come to know Jesus. And it's like Jesus looked at the crowd and he realized what was at stake with them, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And you know what happens when a sheep gets separated from its shepherd? When a sheep is lost, it dies. Um, Cormac McCarthy, in a book that he wrote uh, uh, called Blood Meridian, he tells the story from what, one of the characters there. The character talks about the lambs getting separated from their mother. And uh, the way that this character describes it, he says, when the lambs are lost in the mountain, they cry. Sometimes comes the mother and sometimes the wolf. And uh, so Casey and I would just, as we like minister in Durham and as we're uh, just engaged in, in relationships with people, we just try to really be sensitive, okay, like how do we live with this sort of this level of urgency? Like we see what is at stake. We see where God could be working, but how do we do it in a way that's just natural and, and is not forced at all? And so, you know, someone who uh, does it better than, um, I'll just, let me just say this. You know, one of the things that I just came to realize as I look back on my time in the marketplace was that I just was able to have all of these great conversations where, you know, it may last for five minutes, it may last over a dinner, it may be something that comes back, but I just was able to relax and just say, okay, all right, there's just a seed getting planted here. One of the things that I, I realized that um, it, some of the surveys that have been done, people that are not, not followers of Christ, 
one of the things that they say, like 90% of those who don't have a faith, they'll, they say that they don't have a Christian in their life that they trust. 90%. Now, they may know a Christian, but they'll say oh, they feel judged, they feel like they don't have a good relationship. But I, I look back on my time in software, and it's like there were so many times that I, I, I hope that I could be a Christian that they trust, that they would, you know, be someone that could call in the middle of the night or that could, you know, could ask for help. Someone who has done this a better job than uh, anyone that I've, I know is my wife, Casey. And uh, I'll let her tell a little about her uh, role, but uh, she's just going to tell you just like how she's seen God work this uh, scripture and this uh, story out in her life. So. We only need one mic. Wes always says that, which I think is quite generous. I don't know if that's true, but I do get quite excited about uh, being able to talk about how I share my faith, how faith has been um, a part of my life, and how that's really been transformational. So it really is a huge gift that um, we uh, are able to come speak to you today that Anthem has partnered with us, which is just incredible. We are, we are really so grateful. So so I want to start by saying, and it looks like I was being incredibly rude by not looking at you, but where I was sitting, I couldn't, I couldn't, it was like there was like light shining behind you, so it looked like I was just ignoring him, but I just couldn't look that way. So, uh, so if I, it was kind of angelic, it was, yeah. So, um, so let me start with this. How many of us have experienced evangelism as awkward and forced and anxiety-provoking either as the recipient or the donor, I suspect we all have at least a story or two to tell about the sharing of our faith with others or others um, sharing Jesus with us that was perhaps positive and maybe even a little negative. This awkwardness leads to, it leads to inaction oftentimes and then guilt. And we know what's at stake, but our fear or our doubt or busyness kind of creep in and we often stop doing the very thing that Jesus told us to do. And so my hope is that we might begin to see this parable, which has really come alive as like a guide in my life, that we might begin to, to see this parable that Jesus told to us as a perfect and a beautiful guide to sharing our faith. This parable, I think, changes the evangelism narrative. So Often when reflecting on a faith journey, you get asked these questions, right? When did faith become real to you? When did you become religious? When did you start believing in God? And so my answer is always this. It's always the same. I was raised Catholic, and I have always believed in God. I very much value that heritage. I have never become religious, and I, have, um, I really have believed faith became real in my life when I met Jesus. I met Jesus sometime between my junior and senior year in college. There wasn't like a specific day, like a bolt of lightning, some like magical epiphany, but it was really more of a journey, a significant journey, but one that took a whole lot of time and patience by those around me who loved me quite well. 
One of those people was a woman named Julie. She worked for Campus Crusade, which is a ministry um, at the University of New Hampshire, which is where I was at. Julie was patient. She was loving. We met through an event that the university put on where I filled out a little card. I'm not even sure why I filled this card out saying, yes, I'd like more information on faith. Uh, and she contacted me. I was a swimmer. I was involved in social things. I was trying to figure out how does faith intersect with my life and make me not weird? And Julie offered me this parable. Julie lived this parable so true and so faithfully. She planted seeds and then she'd give me space. She would, she would come close and then she would back away and she would let God work, let God do um, let God do what God is meant to do. She did exactly what uh, Wes was told not to do by his friend Drew Wright. She never made me feel like a project, but she just loved me incredibly well during those years. And I came to know Jesus then as my own. So how do we do this? How do we help people become followers of Jesus in our places of work, in our spheres of influence? And I do think the answer is actually in this parable. Uh, remember how Jesus describes the process of planting and farming. The seed is planted, and then it produces a leaf blade, the head of the wheat, and finally the grain ripens, like we saw in that video. In God's kingdom, we are the farmers. The seed is the good news of Jesus that we share. And there is this process of growth or stages from seedling to ripened grain. Um, that, that we must follow before harvest. There's a process from curious non-believer to follower of Jesus. This process, these stages, they make sense to us, most of us, because we've experienced it. We've lived it in our own lives. But I do want to draw our attention to verse 27 because I think that this is the part of evangelism that we often really get wrong. Jesus says this, verse 27, night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. While the farmer sleeps, the earth produces. When we sleep, God works. I think there is a whole lot of freedom in this parable. There certainly is for me. It should calm our anxiety about sharing our faith. Jesus tells us to rest. He says, night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. We have an active role to play, no doubt, but also a very passive role to play too. It's perhaps more critical now, I think, for us to adopt this parable, these, this verse into our lives than it was 2,000 years ago when it was told. And I think if we believed this, it could single-handedly change the landscape of evangelism because it, honestly, it gets us out of the way and it allows the appeal of Jesus to become so evident to those around us. It really is quite countercultural to wait on someone or something, right? We've all heard these terms. Grab the bull by the horns, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make things happen. Work hard, you can rest when you're dead, which by the way, I actually did hear often as a child from my mother. So uh, I take that one to heart and it still affects me today. Uh, we take this mindset into our own relationships and therefore into the sharing of our faith. We get out ahead of God and we forget to lead, leave the seeds alone that we've planted and rest so that God can work. Now, we can't just leave the seeds and walk away forever, but we will certainly talk about that. So I love talking about evangelism. I love talking about the gospel. I think partly because God has gifted me this way and mostly because I think Jesus is so darn compelling. He changes everything once you meet him. And there is something so honest about this parable that Jesus told that I can't like shake loose from. He's giving us a guide, 
a way to bring people towards him. To me, it's like he's speaking right to me, speaking right to us, a how-to. It's not a formula, but it's actually a way of life. So I am not really a farmer. I suspect most of you aren't farmers. I barely can keep houseplants alive. We have poinsettias in our house that I am desperately trying to keep alive until Christmas. It's not going so well. Um, I've actually taken several plants out of our garden thinking they were weeds. They were not. Uh, and I actually can't remember the last time I actually planted something. That's mostly Wes. Um, but you know what? That's okay. Because Jesus isn't talking about farming here, and he's actually not talking about wheat. He's talking about people. So this parable starts with the farmer planting his seed. However, I want you to consider something. I want you to consider what happens before a seed is planted, before the parable even begins. Jesus introduces us to the farmer in verse 26 of the parable, but he doesn't tell us what the farmer does to get the ground ready for planting. Evangelism never starts with planting seeds. Remember planting seeds, that's you and I, that's sharing our faith and sharing the gospel with those around us. But something comes before the seed is planted. There is something we have to consider before the parable even begins, and that is loving people well. Again, I'm not a farmer, which I've told you, but I know that seeds grow better and farms and gardens are more fruitful if you prepare the soil first. If from seed to harvest is like curiosity to follower of Jesus, loving others well is preparing the soil first. Loving others well comes first, consistent with the repeated teachings of Jesus. Loving well means to lay down our life for others. It's the very first thing, and it's interwoven really into the entire process and the stages of faith. Evangelism cannot begin with the question, how do I get people to accept Jesus? but must instead begin with the question, how do I love people so well so that they see Jesus in me? That's the part that's getting the soil ready. Jesus never really viewed people as a project. We know that he didn't. He loved them because his father did. People certainly don't like being projects. Drew didn't. I never wanted to be viewed that way. And we're all very intuitive when we feel like we've become that to somebody, right? Um, people don't like being projects, and they become that when we think of the end goal, a relationship with Jesus, the harvest day first, farmers care deeply, deeply about the harvest, but they're not great farmers if they skip what happens in the process before. I think farmers work with a precision of timing. I've learned this from my mother-in-law who grew up on a wheat farm, and she still talks about weather and like moisture in the clouds because that is like the way of life of a farmer. They don't plant seeds and then just walk away. They come back to the field. They're so in tune with those things in the environment happening. They're intentional and they are patient. They recognize they cannot control the entire process. They can't control the weather or nature, so they do their part. Nature does it part, its part. We do our part. God does his part. It can be quite beautiful. So perhaps this morning, God is helping you to think a bit more like a farmer. Maybe he's inviting you to think about evangelism as just loving people, not as something foreign and forced, but something that just flows out of your understanding of the life and love of Jesus. Maybe this morning we can all see that loving well is the first stage of evangelism, and it's the catalyst 
for planting seeds. I think it's the mystery and the beauty of how God works that we get to discover in this process. We don't know how or when or why some people decide to make decisions to follow Jesus, but if we don't cast seeds, we can't set our eyes on the day of the harvest. And if we don't love well first, I'm not sure those seeds we've planted, they may never sprout. If we don't come back to check on the seeds planted, how will we know what's needed to move towards harvest? So we love well first, we plant seeds next, we partner with God, all the while we pay keen attention to the stages of the journey. The harvest does come, and I think this is the message of this parable. It's the guide given to us by Jesus himself for how to draw others into his love. The order, the instructions, they are right here. So in my early 20s, I thought evangelism was very formulaic. Uh, I thought thought it was rushed. I thought it was entirely up to me, kind of that like, again, you can rest when you're dead mentality, like just keep working harder and it'll make someone understand who Jesus is. Conversion, Conversion to Christianity became the main thing, and that's what I set my eyes upon. And while a love of Jesus and an acceptance of his sacrifice on the cross is, in fact, the most important thing, it it is the harvest, Jesus does tell us that there are so many things that come before, which is what we just talked about. I have witnessed so many Christians, often quite well-intentioned, lose sight of the before because they're fixated on the end goal. And it forces those far from Jesus, I think, even farther away. I met Sarah 12 years ago. Sarah and I worked together in the emergency department. She is a dear, dear friend of mine now, one of my best friends. Um, My relationship with Sarah and her relationship with Jesus and her decision to love and follow him as her own, um, her, her entire life transformation really has forever changed the way I think about evangelism. Sarah was an alcoholic when we met. I did not know that, but I knew something was a little bit, I knew, I knew that there was a struggle. Um, we became friends. We worked day in and day out in the emergency department. Wes didn't say this aside, but I work as a physician assistant now in the emergency department up where we live, and I also teach at a university. So um, that's where Sarah and I got to engage over sick patients and, um, and frustrating situations and sad situations. All the beautiful and like the brutal twists and turns of Sarah's life to bring her to the place she is in now, it would take days for me to share. But there was something that she said to me that I have never, ever, ever been able to forget. She said this, it wasn't that you said anything to me, Casey, about Jesus first. You just loved me, asked me questions, cared about me. You invited me into your life and I saw a light in you that I didn't recognize and I wanted. So it started there. I didn't even utter the name of Jesus, but God was working. He was working around us, and I was quite in tune with Sarah in her life, and therefore I knew. I had a sense of like following God, partnering when it was time to share faith and when it was time to step back and let him work. This many years later, she is sober, and she's amazing, and she's a leader, and she's changed her whole family, and again, it continues to humble me that God let me play a role in that process. Yeah, thank you. She she is a part of our, she and her husband and their kids are a part of our team, and it has been life-changing, and it's the the why and the how, and it's humbling, and but I I didn't force it. It just happened because I loved her well first.
I think we all come to meet Jesus and experience our faith through different people and on different paths. Some, some might need hard and fast truths spelled out on a paper or through a Bible study. Maybe that was some of you, right? Um, others might need to see examples of Jesus around them through acts of service and acts of kindness. Some might simply need to hit rock bottom and have nowhere else to look but up, and you're just standing there ready to point the direction. With some, we never understand how they came to meet Jesus. But what I know with certainty and beyond a doubt is if we don't love people well first through the journey, we have missed the point. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. And I love this truth. We are partners with God in this process. It's active and it's passive. We prepare soil by loving well. We plant seeds like a farmer does, and then we sleep. Someone else may water those seeds, like Apollo, or maybe it's us, maybe it's the farmer, but God always works. So, how can I encourage you to experience evangelism today as a natural and beautiful part of our life? How can you leave with a posture of freedom and excitement, not guilt and anxiety, a posture towards action and a peace in the process, a passion that is undeniable? So I'm going to encourage us all to do this. We start with five, because God does his part, but we do have an intentional role to play. We think, oh, it's all up to God, right? No, that is not what I'm saying, not at all. We've all heard that before. I am not suggesting we are entirely passive. This parable, in fact, suggests as a guide towards balance. We get to play and role in the faith journey. We get to play the role in the faith journey of others. We don't have to, but we get to. Again, it was an honor to be a part of Sarah's journey and her walk towards faith, a gift, and we get to be a part of that process. So the five, you start with five. You pray and you ask God to show you five people around you in your life now that you can love well. You ask God to make you present enough to sense the Holy Spirit when he nudges you and you love them. Jesus was incredibly present and incredibly creative in how he loved people in his life and in his circle. And so I think we're called to do that, to get creative, to be so present that we know what connects with people in our sphere. Those five that we name, maybe it's four, maybe it's two, maybe it's ten. Who knows, right? But I, I say five because it's just, it's easy, right? Um, they, they all need Jesus, but they won't know they need Jesus until they see Jesus in us. And I think this takes the form of creative and intentional love and quite a bit of patience like it did with Julie back in those college days and me. Um, one of the things that I have noticed that has been very, very through COVID really beneficial and allowed me to really have a lot of touch points with people is through social media and texting. And I, if we're all going to spend time on social media, we might as well like do something good with it, right? So um, it is a way that I have been able to really connect with people in a sense of like where they're at and then just reach out. Not even uttering the name of Jesus, but reach out just, hey, I notice this about you. I'm thinking of you. If it's right, I'm praying for you. Um, can I do anything for you? Same thing with texting right? We're all flooded with emails. I don't even read half my emails anymore. Um, I don't. So if you send them, it's a good chance I might not read it. But texting people, read. everybody has a phone. Everybody's reading their text, right? So um, those are two ways that I have found I could be extremely connected with people during this time of COVID. So maybe that's something that would work for you. So in closing this time, may we all remember and be reminded daily that God did leave the 99 for the one, that a sheep without a shepherd dies 
and that there is a very real wolf out there. That loving first is not optional. We love and then we scatter seeds. That seeds left unattended may never grow. And may we remember to trust God to work. And then may we sleep, anticipating all that God will do. And when we make up, wake up, may we be a small part of seeing God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, hold that mic. So, yeah, maybe you'll uh, relate. One of my, uh, one of our friends in, uh, in Durham, uh, CJ, shared this uh, parable with him, and he said that over the last couple of years, he said, you know, I think the, the seed, like he was able to identify the stage. He said, you know, I think I can see how God has been working, and I think the seed is starting to take root there. And uh, so maybe that, that describes you, that you're able to look back on your life and see particular points that you know that God's been working, and it allows you to just sort of relax to know that the God of the universe is pursuing you and is caring for you. And this parable also helps you relax and just say, ah, all right, this will take its time. Um, another uh, author that I, I love, a guy by the name of Makoto Fujimura, he was a, a first-generation immigrant from Japan, uh, grew up here in Boston. Now he's an artist around uh, the New York City area. And he describes it like this this parable, he says, you know, there reached a point that, like, all of a sudden, I just, like, a year had passed from sort of a significant moment, and he said, I just real, I realized at that point that I had become a Christian, and he described, like, this, this, like, the grain ripening into a plant, and I realized, like, this is what God had always made me to be, and he was just able to embrace it. What, what a privilege that we get to be a part of that. Um, I would just encourage all of you, just imagine five years down the road, ten years down the road. Um, I think about the people that invested in me, the people that invested in Casey. She grew up in Nashua, just a little bit uh, north of here. And um, I have a, a picture of our family um, that uh, I just wanted to share with you. That so many times I just am so blessed with, uh, you know, having a, a wife who loves God with all her heart, raising our kids, just have an incredible home. And I'm so grateful to the people who invested at the right time, that cared for her, that, you know, and I get to, I get the benefit of that. And so I just would encourage you, like, may we be sensitive to where God is at, that maybe 10, 15, 20 years down the road, you know, you get to celebrate with someone, and they're saying, hey, thank you for what you did. You didn't push. You loved. Like, just let me go at the right pace. And then you get to celebrate down the road, down the road with what God has been doing. So, with that, let me pray and uh, close out our time here in the Word. Father, thank you so much for this body. We pray, God, that you would just continue to work in your, uh, in your, in, in, in your body, in people's lives. May you just Give us a desire to, uh, for others the way that you have, and may you give us the wisdom to see what you are doing in their life. Praise in your sons, Jesus' name. Amen.